The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. operation of the machine becomes so odious makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part you can't even passively take part and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels upon the levers by all the apparatus and you've got to make it stop you were born free you got fucked out of half of it you wave a flag celebrate <laughs> Central authority has just embedded right in it uh, its own problem, and that is that it means a few people make decisions for many people. Alright folks, welcome back to the Agora Podcast. This is your own for agorism, localism, radical decentralization, and anti-authoritarian concepts. I'm Penguin here with my co-host Sec, and we're back with you for another exciting episode. Uh, Sec, why don't you go ahead and uh, if you don't have any show announcements, uh, introduce our guests. Oh, we kind of do actually have two show announcements. So in case you haven't noticed, we started releasing uh, the audiobook of Homebrew Industrial Revolution, read by Ray, uh, the wife of our today's guest. Um, we're going to have to release that in parts because the because of the size of the audio file. So you'll get it in sort of a series. Lots and lots uh, of little parts. Lots and lots of little parts. Um so yeah, look for that coming out. And we also um, released, uh, I don't know if released is the right word, but we put on our feed um, Shane from Vanu Podcast's audiobook as well, um, mainly just be to in case to put the uh, to spread the idea a little bit more in case anybody that listens to our podcast is maybe not familiar with Shane. Uh, he, he just released an audio book called Vanu, the search for personal freedom. Um, so you can look for that or just go to his, uh, website, vanupodcast.com. Um, and I think that's it. So today we are welcoming Daggerist, a friend of the show. Uh, Daggerist is from Agarist acres, which is where I get my seeds. He is also from the podcast and site Agris Nexus and uh, all around decent human being. Uh, Dagris, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Hey, thank you, brother. Uh, going pretty darn good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm finally glad to actually get you on a, a public podcast episode. You've been on a few of our patrons' Q&As, but 
not not so much on the uh, you haven't been on the regular podcast yet so it's good to have you on here um yeah thanks hopefully we can make it uh, interesting enough to be worthy of a regular podcast <laughs> yeah right on so um well t- i guess intros out of um get let's get intros out who are you what do you do um why do you do it uh well um gosh i i don't know man i kind of do a little bit of everything you know i've been kind of into agorism for better part of a decade been a liberty-minded individual for you know probably probably going on about a decade now uh did the Gorse Nexus podcast there for a little bit. I guess that'd be my public thing. Uh, we're taking a little bit of a break. Um, our co-host has moved to Mexico in search of freedom. And one thing that is difficult to find on there is good internet. So um, we're uh, we're sort of getting our shit together and, and getting that figured out. But um, but uh, otherwise, I run, like you said, uh, Gorse Acres. We're just a small seed company distributor. Uh, nothing too special about the product. Uh, we accept crypto. We're liberty-minded individuals. So if you want to support us. You know, instead of, you know, Burpee or whatever other huge, uh, huge C distributor, you know, that's great. Uh, if there is anything anybody wants specifically, don't see on the site, holler. And we are hoping in the future to sort of network with some other small farmers who want to grow seeds and and get, you know, get the actual production coming from Liberty people as well. I just I'm I am very particular about the stuff that I sell and I just I haven't I haven't gotten that set up um in a way that's satisfactory to make sure we're getting good pure product, you know, um, getting the right yep. seeds and everything and things that are crossbred. So, uh, but that is something I really want to do. Well, to toot your horn a uh, little bit, you have been able to find me stuff that I can't always find on some of these other seed sites. So if you're looking uh, for a specific variety or something, definitely go see dad. Cause he can probably hunt it down for you. Uh, yeah. And usually like, like if you're trying to get, let's say something like Roselle seeds, like the, they could go on um, Etsy or something, and it's like the minimum you're going to spend is like $10, you know, for like a dozen seeds. And it's like, no, no, no. If there's something you want like that, like hit me up. I'll buy it in bulk, and then I'll chop it up, and I'll sell it to you at a way better price, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, so a lot of times that just gives me an excuse to to buy something in bulk and just expand my site. So I really do like it when people hit me up and say, hey, I want this, and you don't have it because that tells me what the market's demanding, right? That tells me, okay, I need this on my site. I'm a dummy for not having it on here already. Let's do it. And gives me an opportunity to buy more seeds, so that always makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, and if, any, um, if anybody doesn't know, as somebody who buys seeds pretty regularly, if you go to other like seed companies and stuff, you don't really have that as an option. Like, what's on their site is what you get, and there's not usually somebody you can like go talk to. It's all e-commerce, you know, so it's like there's not somebody you can go talk to. Like, hey, I want this one weird variety of whatever. Um. And that's not something that exists on most other seed companies, you know, so you have that, you have that edge over some of these other seed companies, but um, yeah, just dealing with a smaller business, you know, you yeah, that's what it is. You can yeah. email me and you're, I'm the employee, I'm the like owner, like <laughs> you're getting me. So it, uh, you know, if there is a problem, hopefully we can handle it. And I am horribly embarrassed when there are problems. So I'm going to do my best to overcompensate in your favor. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've I've been pretty happy with everything we've gotten, so it's been awesome. Cool. Oh, yeah. um, and- no, that reminds me of another announcement. Oh, this fall, and I've been putting this all over social media, but and maybe Dag, you want in on this some some somehow or some way, but I'm going to try and get as many people as I possibly can to start gorilla gardening, 
And um, I'm going to teach as many people as I can what that is, what that means, and how to do it, and some do's and don'ts and things that I've done that I found to be better. And I'm going to try and get as many people gorilla gardening throughout the world as I possibly can between now and fall. And then I'm going to hit it again hard in the next spring. So, um, um, yeah, to talk to me about that. Cause if nothing else, um, for like gorilla gardening, like I might be able to do something like my, my seeds that are past the date. I like to sell them. Like, you know, once I've had them for so long, I don't want to sell them. I want them to be fresh for my customers, but I don't just want to waste them. So if nothing else, we might be able to work something out where we can get them to people who want a gorilla garden. Uh, yeah, maybe we can work something out. I mean? Yeah, 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 sure. yeah re- recycling program, you know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. That, no, that's a good idea. Um, you know, the, the idea of gorilla gardening is basically growing where you're not supposed to. And so that's, you know, government property, you know, parks, um, abandoned lots, stuff like that. And the idea is like what I envision is, um, Number one, you can grow flowers, right? Most of the things that are growing on the side of the side of the road or in parks or you know on a highway median or uh, whatever national forest even are um, a lot of it's not very like useful. But uh, if we could grow perennial foods or foods that propagate very easily and spread, um, or even just flowers, flowers are. are are very beneficial in a number of ways. One for the ecosystem in terms of like birds, bees, butterflies, and also they look prettier than just whatever weeds and grasses are just growing on the side of the road or in parks or in the woods or whatever. But if we can grow, have food growing wild everywhere, um, to me, like the problem, the reason people are going hungry is not necessarily, um, a, uh, a problem of it's a problem of distribution right so um we could easily create enough abundance of food to where people wouldn't necessarily need, need to grow hungry so you can either do this so you got a little stash spot in the woods where you know where you've put planting blackberry bushes for years and years and years or asparagus or whatever the thing or you can just plant it all over the place and just let anybody pick it wild and then people will just start to realize that oh my God, there's avocados growing all all along the side of the the road over here or whatever the thing, or there's green green beans growing all along the side of the road. I can just pick them and eat them. So that's my general gist. Um, And I think we can do several things simultaneously. Like we can help the ecological system while also making food in abundance and also screwing with the state at the same time and trying to delegitimize state property. Um, Hey folks, this is sick. I wanted to tell you about Appalachian apothecary. If you care about taking responsibility for your health, uh, natural and home based and plant based uh, medicines, and homesteading and foraging, you should check out Appalachian Apothecary. Now, that's my other half. She goes by resonance in most places. She is a big proponent of 
DIY medicines and plant-based medicines. Uh, Everything that she makes is either grown here on the homestead or she forages for it uh, with the little ones. With the exception of uh, the beeswax, which she uses for salves, that we trade for from a, a friend of ours. And the olive oil, which she buys. Um, we don't make the olive oil. Uh, she makes salves and tinctures and lots of other home remedies. Um, also pickles and jellies and that kind of thing. Um, she's a trained chemist, if that matters. And she really knows what she's doing. Uh, she's a wizard. My house constantly looks like a mad scientist laboratory. Uh, the current tinctures and salves that she has, she has a mood enhancer. It's St. John's Wort, Elderflower Mimosa, a woman's health, red clover tincture. It's a menstrual and menopause issue tincture, an immune booster. It's oregano, oregano rosemary, and plant, wild plantain. She's got a plantain self for bug bites and scratches and cuts. I use that stuff all the time. I work outside. I'm constantly getting bit by bugs and scratched and whatever, and, and it really heals up uh, quickly. She's got a de-stress. That's a 50-50 chamomile and lemon balm. Uh, it's a stress reliever. Calms you down. Uh, goldenrod tincture for allergies. Um, I believe that also works for colds. And coming soon, uh, what stuff she has in the works is Fire Cider, which is also a great immune booster. That knocks out colds like you wouldn't believe. An Usnea tincture for the first signs of a a cold. Uh, She's getting prepared for cold season, so that's another immune booster. A wild lettuce tincture, uh, and that's a a pain reliever. Um, Also works pretty good, Uh, especially for like aches and pains, that kind of pain, you know. Um, And she has, you know... has pickles for six bucks bucks a jar or um or plus shipping and also jellies which she's out of right now and i'm not sure the cost uh the prices for the rest of this um please reach out to her at on twitter at mother of chaos with an x or on telegram that's radical underscore resonance r-e-s-o-n-a-n-c-e and she can set you up with a price list if you're interested in any of that. And she's also open to barters and trades and that sort of thing. Um, so if you want to support the underground economy and uh, homesteading and foraging and and, and uh, that sort of thing, um, please feel free to reach out to her on any kind of social media. Or if you can't find her, reach out to me. Again, thanks a lot and I hope you enjoy. In the sense that we can uh, just take it over and start using it for our own benefit rather than them ha- having the highest claim over that land. So it can that's be just useful to have. My thought. I've done this in a number. What? Sorry, what? Oh, I don't know. I'll tell you some kind of lag going on here. But, <clears throat> excuse me. It can be useful to have access to some kind of fresh, fresh uh, fruits or vegetables. In order to be like, in order to have like access to um, key vitamins and nutrients, I think a lot of, you know, problems with access to food, not necessarily like hunger in the sense of not getting raw calories, is like two two things. Like so, obviously, like high protein foods are hard to get, like shelf um, stable 
for the most part, um, high quality proteins. And then also like those um, high nutrient or nutrient dense uh, fruits, vegetables that have access to fresh stuff like that. That's also because in our society, it's not like there's that many people with a deficit of, you know, raw calories. There's plenty of calories and sugars running around. So yeah, I, I, it's great to be able to grow that and you can grow some in the right kind of spot with the right sun and water. You can grow some, some good stuff. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I definitely like this idea in like um, urban areas because a lot of times, you know, your limitation on the end, if you just want to grow your own stuff is you might not have the space, you know, or maybe a balcony. And I mean, I'll, I'll, all day long sit there and tell people the amazing things you can do in small spaces. But, you know, you kind of really open up your options if suddenly the whole neighborhood can be your garden. Right. Have, say you live in, say you live in, uh, let's say you live in downtown New York, right? You've got nowhere to grow your food. Well, you got Central Park, you know what I mean? Like you can just start sneaking in blueberry bushes and pawpaws and whatever, you know, just find whatever kind of native plants that grow decent in your area. You know, in New England, like blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, they all grow wild all over New England. You could just sneak a lot of that in there and then green beans will grow anywhere. And if you leave some of the green beans on the plant, they'll drop seed and grow, you know, a bunch of other green bean plants and kind of spread their own way. And they're a high source of protein also. And you could just, if you're sneaky about it and don't make it look like a garden, it'll be there much longer. Like, so previously in the past, uh, out in California, we were literally like digging and building raised gardens on government land, like near these canals in Southern California and kind of near these homeless encampments, which were like kind of off of uh, um, a, like a median on an off ramp that led down in to these, cana uh, you know, canals that they had for when it monsooned or whatever. And we were just like making whole gardens and water collection systems and whatever else. And, we never gotten in any trouble with the cops, we, but we definitely had the cops roll up and look and they could definitely tell what they, we were doing, but they had, you know, way more things to worry about in Southern California, kind of outside of Los Angeles than, you know, some street punks doing weird shit with the homeless. So they didn't, they never screwed with us. So, but if you're in a situation where like, that would be a super noticeable way to do it. So that's why like, in doing that, I'm like, Oh, like you got to make this look like not a garden. You got to put this in. So like even parks will have like little flower beds and stuff. Just start sneaking in shrubs like that grow fruit or, you know, or, you know, who's going to notice a couple of bean, a couple of bean plants in between the rhododendrons. You know what I mean? Like, you just start sneaking that in so it's kind of noticeable to people who might be looking for it but less noticeable to the authorities you know so um yeah no there's a lot of there's a lot of fun pranks you can do with this too and shenanigans that you can screw with the state while also like making the world a better place and i love gorilla garden for that reason so um but, some some food food stuff's pretty too you know uh you know let's see basil isn't something you're just gonna sit there and chomp on but like when basil bolts and flowers like you know it's gorgeous you know yeah you have some of that in a in a flower arrangement you know <laughs> or right. whatever you know their landscaping with, uh, is. okra flowers yeah, the basil itself looks great yeah um well, when they flower they'll just look good and people might not notice or mind right right 
And if they do notice, now well, they got a little, you know, some free produce or whatever, you know, and if you can get, if we got enough people to do this, I think it could really, um, make a large different difference in like a multitude of ways at the same time. Um, you know, like I said, the, the reasons I stated before where we could be feeding people, but we could also be helping the ecology of the, our areas and also screwing with the, the state and the, the, the concept of the legitimacy of state property altogether, you know, so you're doing all of these things mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, you could even couple okay. this with like, it's been my dream for a long time and other people have had the same idea. Um, but I got this from my father years ago, this idea um, of just starting to grow marijuana plants everywhere, everywhere. And the reason for this is if like they're growing everywhere, like in the flower beds at the police station and in your grandmother's flower beds, like a weed, and they're all up and down the side of the road because that stuff will, if they call it weed for a reason, that stuff will self-propagate very easily. If all, if that was just growing everywhere, like, old ladies were paying landscapers to pull them out of their flower beds like weeds that that ceases to be an enforceable uh, uh prohibition you just could you wouldn't there wouldn't be if it was growing everywhere it would not be able to be prohibited by authorities at all so you could even really get with your you know uh pretty creative with your gorilla gardening like um you know what happens if you got a couple of pot seeds in the planter at the police station? You know what I mean? Like, so I'm not suggesting anybody do anything illegal, but you could really be, uh, you could really have some fun with it. Is what I'm saying. So, sorry. Well, on that enforceability note, here, here's here's what I foresee as being like really like fun too. Is like so, let's say enough people start guerrilla gardening in a particular city or town to the point where it gets noticed. Okay. And the cops or the city council or what the fuck ever is um is now like going after these guerrilla gardeners, right? Like how silly does that make them look? You know, like that's the whole thing where like it'll just really make regular people go, wait a minute, you're spending resources and time on what? You know, don't we actually have crime to solve? Uh so it just if the state does decide to get upset about it, it just makes them look even more foolish if they decide to do anything about it. Yeah, so, I mean I hope know, they do. There's a lot of value. Yeah, exactly. I, it would be a win. So like if you don't get caught, it's a win. If you do get caught, it's a, even more of a win. Like so mm -hmm. I went and made this like shitty uh, side ditch on the side of the road. That's just weeds and whatever that they bush hog, you know, twice a year or whatever. I made it, went and made it look beautiful with a bunch of like wildflowers and morning glories and this and that. And like, just put a whole bunch of wildflowers in there and maybe a few plants or whatever. And I made it look awesome and just beautified my community. And now it gets out that these people they're are they're arresting me because I was making things look nice. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's it's like the guy that gets busted for feeding the homeless. I forgot where that was, but like the pastor that gets busted it, for it feeding the homeless. It happens all over. over. Yeah. The 90-year-old dude was in Florida. Yeah. And that happened. That dude was times. my hero. That was, yeah. Mm -hmm, that was the exact thing I was thinking. It's like it's the same parallel as that. You make them look so ridiculous and evil when they enforce shit like that. That you know, it, it just helps us. It helps our cause. Right. Right. So it's to me, this is, it could potentially have like so many positive benefits, like all around. Also, I just like planting stuff all, you know, so there, there's that too. So, 
Um, well, it's and it's also it's like even like landscaping around our farmstead here. Like, okay, we can plant a tree, or we can plant a tree that's also edible, and it's like, duh, we're going with the edible one. Like, <laughs> you know, there's very few things about the option. I want to plant that aren't edible. Why isn't all our landscaping edible? Just just because. Right, and that's something you could really get in. You know, like, okay, so now you get busted because you put an apple tree in the planter at the public park. You know what I mean? Like, come on, you know, like mm-hmm. it, they definitely will go after that. But you know, a lot of these, uh, la- you know, landscape designs in these parks and stuff, they don't incorporate any kind of edible anything, which they should. You know, so just go sneak a peach tree in there, or a, an apple tree, or pears, or whatever, and the, um, or some berries, and just. The, the kids around the area that will go pick apples it'll be a fun thing and people will have food if they, if they need it the homeless can or the needy in the area can figure out where there's food growing wild you know it's it's just an all-around good thing in my opinion so so yeah if anybody's listening to that and and wants to wants in on this uh just hit me up on social media and i've i've already got a few people interested in it so um this should be fun but yeah, if um, Dag, you're into this too, like we can we can do something for real. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure something out. All right, I'll contribute one way or another. Um, so you mentioned your homestead. Why don't we start with what what is a homestead to you? Like what what does that mean? Uh, well, this is always a, a little bit of a debate among people. Like, what's a farm? What's a homestead? What's a what have you um i kind of like the term farmstead for what we got going on but i'm not married to anything i don't care we basically have uh, six acres and it's there's a whole lot of nothing when we got it and so we're trying to use this land to make some sort of living for ourselves and you know feed people in the process so we uh you know well sorry let me stick to your question a little more here first um i i you know, I guess to, to call it a homestead or a farmstead, I'd say you have to live there. When I first got the land for maybe the first two years, I didn't live here. I just sort of used it as a farm, you know, uh, grew veggies and whatnot until we finally started living out here. And then I guess it technically would become a homestead or farmstead at that point. Um, but, uh, but man, I, I, I don't know. It's a, I got the land in 2014, so... Things were, you know, starting to get a little weird, but not at any point they're at now. You know, now it's blatantly obvious, like, you need to get, you know, the heck out of the cities and onto a piece of land if you haven't, right? Um, but, you know, just sort of wanted to live a little more, a little more natural life. Uh, we watched a documentary, Food Inc., and sort of sent us down this path, started reading Joel Solitin, and got pushed further down the path. So, um, we decided to do it. You know, and got the land, started doing veggies, did veggies for a little bit. It's, it's not really good soil here. It's very sandy. Brought in a lot of compost and had really good success the first couple of years with growing veggies. Had a small, almost CSA kind of thing. Had about half a dozen people slash families that deliver, you know, $25 worth of stuff a week to. And just out the gate, you know, that really wasn't bad at all. Um, we started doing chickens and decided we really like animals. As far as the the workload is concerned, it's way easier than the veggies, especially because of our poor soil situation. You know, it's one thing we had with six, six acres of pasture. So, like, well, let's put it to use. And we started doing chickens for eggs. And we wanted to do, like, the dual-purpose dual breed so we could do meat and eggs. I didn't want to do those 
those, you know, damn Cornish cross. I wanted to do real birds, you know, heritage breeds. And we did that for a little while, which was, which was fun, but you, the heritage breeds are tough. You don't get a lot of weight out of them. You really got to cook them differently. It was really a hard sell. And I read Joel Soliton's pasture poultry profits. And he kind of sold me on the idea of using the Cornish cross, uh, the hybrids, they grow faster. So they get basically get to wait in eight weeks. You'll have a four pound dressed out bird. Whereas the heritage breeds would take six months. You'd have a three pound bird. You'd have to cook it in a special way. So it would be chewable, you know, I don't like to use the word tough, but let's say it was very firm. Uh, so started doing that. And now we're just sort of trying to make, um, make that work. I should rather say, um, you know, that's, that's a little more my side. I like you mentioned earlier, my, uh, my lovely wife, Ray, she has been getting into tinctures and uh, I can't say this word, but apothecary, um, you know, herbal medicine. And like, uh, Listen, I had to do an ad the other day for, <laughs> for a resonance thing. And I had to like teach myself to say apothecary because I said it the way you just said it. Apothecary. It's so I kept, hard. I kept screwing it up. Apothecary. <laughs> apothecary. I had to like say it over and over again. Like they did put it on the ad. You know what I mean? Oh, that's hilarious. Um, so let me interrupt her side you there. real quick real yeah, quick yeah do you think yeah. wanna, uh, for anybody that didn't know you mentioned CSAs and that's what's mm -hmm. um, call, that's what's known as community supported agriculture which is basically like a farm share or a crop share you all sort of uh, you can do it a, a number of different ways but you all yeah. pool labor and resources and you each take a piece of the um produce or crop or whatever it is or herd at the end of the uh, season when it's time to harvest. So just for anybody that didn't know what that was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There, and there, there are a lot of different models of that. So almost any farm that does one will have a little different way of doing it. So if um, sometimes it's like, you know, you don't contribute labor. It's just, you're kind of, yeah, like you said, buying a share of the farm and the benefits is a lot of times you get a whole lot of veggies, um, but you're kind of, in it with them so in a lot of these instances if you know they have a bad year you might get a little less so it just depends on the setup and not everybody's opposed to that i mean if you know it's it's nice to have somebody you can say i that's my farm you know what i mean that's that's i got a chunk of that you know and, and, and you know it's there and there's a real cool connection to that so yeah csas are really nice if you're planning on getting into having a small farm um i would personally advise that um you be cautious i guess i'd say on how you set up your csa especially when you're getting going because well, you're still learning i mean anybody even experienced farmers might have consistency issues you know there's weather there's all sorts of unpredictable things but especially when you're starting so just be careful how you set up be careful what you promise to customers you know just that kind of thing um uh the way that i kind of did it was instead of okay you get a you know we got five people and you get one fifth share it was basically every you know just kind of a subscription thing. You give me $25 a week, I'll bring you $25 worth of good, you know, produce. And then that way I didn't really worry about short selling anyone. Um, and I just had people pay as they go. Whereas a lot of CSAs, you might actually like pay in advance, like the whole season in advance, which is great because that gives the farmer resources and uh, funding and everything to get the, get the farm going and survive, you know, until veggies start coming out. Uh, but again, on both sides of that as customer and farmer, um, just, you know, be aware with, with, with whatever you're doing and, you know, understand there might be some situations where you don't have guaranteed product. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, you know, different ways of doing it. Uh, for people so, in the city, um, this might actually be a really beneficial thing. Like maybe you can find a farm on the outskirts of the city where you can talk to them about setting up a, 
uh, <clears throat> CSA or something, then you just have access to f- fresh produce all the time. But yeah, and probably most cities, that's going to be your best chance of actually finding something like that, to be honest, because most of, you know, like a lot of us small farms kind of, yeah, I've got, we've got a lot of local customers, but you know, just like anything, we funnel product into cities. And so especially more, uh, how should I say progressive cities, you know, they're going to have a lot of small like organic farms servicing them and probably even delivering. So if you um, live in there, um, a good resource to check for that would be, uh, um, well, there's farmatch.com, I believe it's.com, farmatch.com, and then uh, localharvest.org. Those are both going to be really good sites where you can type in your zip code and find out what's around, who delivers, uh, all that kind of stuff. So uh, so definitely check uh, check those out if, if need be. Farm, uh, farm match still sounds like a dating site to me, but uh, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like farmers only, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so no, no. Back to my question though. Um, what? So, mm-hmm. what is a homestead to you? Like, what? What does that mean? Oh God, man. Yeah, it's rough. Um, <laughs> Depends on who you ask, right? Yeah. Well, well, that, that that's exactly it. And there's um, there are definitely heated debates about this kind of thing. You know, so I say call it whatever makes makes you happy. What is it? But I mean, a homestead. Okay, so I guess I'd say a homestead. Let's say it's a little bit smaller. Let's say you're feeding your family, maybe helping out some neighbors, maybe go to the farmer's market from time to time. Okay, I'd say a farmstead, maybe a little bit bigger. So maybe closer to like 10 acres. Uh, Maybe maybe you know you're trying to make a business out of this. This is what I want my main living to be. You know, I don't want a job. You know, I might have other side hustles, of course, but it's kind of one of the beauties of having a phone farmstead slash homestead, which is kind of one of the things I want to talk about on this episode, was the ability to have so many other hustles that that kind of gives you. Um, but, you know, you're kind of making it like your main deal, you know, maybe even your quote unquote legitimate business, right, is we have this farm and there's some definite benefits to having a farm as being your legitimate business and for uh, agoristic reasons as well. Uh so I'd say, yeah, that, that's like the farmstead zone, maybe, maybe 10 ish or where, whatever. I mean, if it's 40, I don't know. Uh, but you're kind of doing it as a business. And then I'd probably say maybe once you start to get to having like more than one or two like employees, like if you get like half a dozen like full time employees, um, I, I don't know what you move up to from farmstead, but maybe maybe small farm. Uh, I don't know. But you're kind of out of that realm at, at that point, I think. I think that's where you're getting a little bit bigger. You know, you're going to have some level of bureaucracy at that point, <laughs> you know, once you get above half a dozen people. See, I started getting even more inclusive with my definition of homestead in recent years. So the way I describe it or define it now is if you are thinking about your property in terms of what it can produce for you rather than it being a cost, right? something that you expend resources to have as recreation. If you're thinking about it in terms of what it can produce for you rather than what it costs you um, and making steps in that direction, you're a homesteader in my opinion. So that I like that would that. probably include a lot, a lot of people that you wouldn't necessarily think of as a homestead, but I don't care. Bring everybody in. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. yeah so I, I'm just getting more, more loose with that definition i think as time goes on because i don't want to limit people either it's like well you're not a homesteader because you don't have you only have 7.5 acres and you're not making it your full-time thing yet well it's like okay you know like 
they're moving in that direction and they're at least thinking it's a mindset rather than a thing. It could be a tiny little acre in suburbia. You know what I mean? Like as long as you're trying to make that thing produce for you rather than it just being something that costs you, um, I think you're a homesteader. Um, yeah, totally agree. You know, like what are you planting St. Augustine or are you planting, um, you know, <laughs> anything edible, <laughs> you know, right. Uh, right. are you making use of that, space that you have no matter how small i mean to be honest i mean my before i got um the farm i was living in a a little a tiny house in the hood in lakeland and i had i don't know a tenth of an acre maybe but we had a garden you know we had a compost pile you know we had some other agricultural products that brought in money um you know we you know we had things going on for sure you know when we were really um you know forming it into something and yeah i mean i I, I, yeah, I, I like your definition there for sure. And it is, it is a mindset, right? It does get from it, man, it really is such a mindset. It's. Yeah, just, it is. And I, I would mean, like I, to even include people like in, you know, houses in the sh city setting up like shared gardens in the lot vacant lot next door. That's been empty for 20 years. They're, they're homesteaders too. You know what I mean? Like bring every, everybody yeah. in. They just want to produce. They got chickens in their tiny little backyard that, you know, they, they can, you know, that's less than a 10th of an acre. It's a postage stamp, but they got chickens in a, you know, a garden in the field out, out back or whatever it is, you know, like they're homesteaders, you know, I pointed out numerous times that I have a bunch of like where I'm sitting right now, I have a bunch of uh, empty lots, like like multiple size lots, like like uh, two or three deep um, vacant lots right next to where I am. And what you could do just on the edges of those and just in places where it wouldn't be like entirely noticeable as if you like, you know, actually cleared out a field right in the center. But what I could just do with the sun exposure and the kind of um, the rainfall that it would get, it, it, it could be amazing. And I, I really should be out there with some seeds to be honest with you. Yeah. I'm set, dude, I'm sending you seeds. We're going to help get you set up gorilla gardening too, for real. Um, just a handful. I mean, I go to garden centers. I don't know why I haven't just picked up. I picked up some from my mom, um, some catnip. I don't know why I just didn't get some tomatoes and some cucumbers. Um, but they've been they've been growing at some stuff at the mosque too. So I've been we we mow it. So um, been helping to keep that garden clean. It's it's um, and zucchinis are humongous, just like actually yours that you've showed off. Uh, those, those zucchinis can grow amazingly huge. Uh, kale, um, peppers, not doing so great. But there, there's some real good produce coming just from uh, a place that only grew just the worst deepest thickest weeds you could barely mow them but uh the amount of the vegetables it, it can grow in that little tiny parcel um amazing yeah it can oh, be yeah. done anywhere you know what i mean so um yeah no that's where i'm at with the homesteading like okay so i grew up on a oh, um you know i grew up on 60 acres we had like i guess you'd call like a hobby farm right and yeah, my mom would go to the the farmer's market and bring produce and stuff and eggs that we grew and stuff. But, you know, depending on who you ask, like 60 acres is either a giant farm or like like my neighbors I across the street from me was a, like a, I think it was almost a thousand acre corn farm. And then like next to us was a, like down the road a piece was like, 
a couple hundred acre bison farm. So like when I was growing up, that's a farm, you know what I mean? Like thousands or whatever, but you go to Southern California and they have like an acre and a half with like four horses on it. And that's a farm. So it's like, it depends on who you you're asking and where you're at, you know, to, to where I grew up, 60 acres wasn't anything, but you know, in certain areas, that's a huge farm, you know? So it's like, um, to me, it's these things are kind of very wishy, uh, very uh, amorphous. You know, it doesn't. There's not really one strict definition. Um, it really sure. it comes well, back to that mindset. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, and then to, to your point too, it's like, what are you growing? You know, an organic vegetable farm that's sixty acres is huge, right? But if you're growing grass-fed cattle, sixty acres isn't that, that big, big. You right. know? So it's you know just yeah, it's dependent on what you're doing you know can make all the difference so and to that note you know that kind of makes you know if you got a tenth of an acre maybe uh maybe a dairy cow ain't the best solution but you can do pretty good with chickens so yeah for for real and you can produce a lot of veggies on a very small space you know what i mean so if you've got eggs and for eggs from the chickens and some veggies you're you're doing you're doing good you know on a tenth of an acre so probably still have a place to run around so, um, are you trying to, um, sorry, my brain is fried, uh, amend your soil with the, the animals. Is that where, is that your like long-term goal? Yeah. So that, that's a big part of it. So yeah. Like the thinking of is like, why, why are we trying? Cause I was bringing in a lot of compost, you know, that I was purchasing and everything and you know, it's a great product, but, um, but yeah, it's like, like we're really, I've got all this land. I've got pasture land, basically. So I should be pasturing something on it. Um, but, you know, when we first got chickens, we just got a few and they were the dual purpose. And that really was one of the main driving factors was to have them do labor for us. We wanted to be able to have, you know, take chicken tractors, run them over areas we wanted to farm vegetables on. You know, they tear up the weeds, they eat the bugs, they poop, they fertilize, they do all that. And yeah, use them to over time build soil. And then as we started realizing, you know, we there's a transformation there just to, to critters but I've got like a designated spot I run chickens on and it's, you know, when the chicken tracker passes by like two weeks later, the grass grows back and you can, you can follow the path that chicken tractor took for like the last two months because of the dark, dark green. That is the exact width of the chicken tractor, you know, just makes a path. So you can be very strategic. Pretty much any livestock animal, especially herbivores, but they're, you know, they're going to, they're going to condition soil. So cattle, goats, you know, sheep, chickens, you know, whatever. Yeah, you, you can use them for that. And yes, uh, to more directly answer the question, that was a huge factor and reason we initially got them and do still use them um, and actively in certain areas. Um, I know what you mean by chicken tractor, but can you describe what you mean by a chicken tractor? Oh, yes, sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, I was I'm not so long. Hold on, I'm imagining what this chicken tractor is. I think I've, I think I figured it out, but I want to see how accurate that to my mind is. To, it's got a big John sticker on the side. Yeah. Well, if so, so the chickens don't power the device. That's what a lot of people think. It's basically just a just a mobile pen. Okay, so for instance, my my biggest one, and this is pretty strict to um, Joel Solitin's design. Uh, you, it's about as big as you can get a chicken tractor and handle it comfortably. But basically, mine's a, a ten by twelve foot. A box that's two foot tall and it's a you know it's basically a cage it has a couple wheels on the back and then every day i move it so the chickens live in there and these 
broiler chickens. They don't roost or anything. So they just, they live on the ground. So it's very well suited for them. And we just move it every day. So what this does is it protects them first and foremost from predators, but it really controls exactly where they're moving. So I get to control where they're digging up grass. They're not getting in my tomatoes, you know, but they might be right next to my tomatoes, but they're not getting in my tomatoes. Uh, it is going to, it's going to allow you to give them access to fresh greens and bugs every day. So we move this thing every morning, sometimes twice a day as they get bigger. Uh, every day we're moving it, they're getting fresh grass, fresh bugs, and we're also moving them off of their waste. So they're never living in their own filth, you know, for more than a few hours at a time. Whereas like big industrial chicken houses or whatever, obviously they're, you know, knee deep in that stuff, which is really awful. And then, you know, if you try to do, especially with like um, broiler chickens, they don't wander much. So just having them free range doesn't really accomplish the task of getting them pastured. So chicken tractors, in my opinion, are a must for broiler chickens. Uh, for like a dual purpose breed, like a Rhode Island Red or Barb Rocks or whatever, you know, they'll roam. So that's a good thing if you have the space and set up and that's what you want from them. But that's not a good thing if you have an active garden and you want them to pull weeds for you and eat bugs and fertilize because they are just going to eat all the plants that you want to eat, right? So let's say you have your, your garden and, you know, you have your row space four foot apart, build a chicken tractor that's three and a half feet wide by whatever, eight, ten feet, put, you know, half a dozen hens in there. And you can just run it up and down between the rows um, as it goes. They're going to fertilize the area. They're going to do all that good stuff. And they're not going to be able to have access to your veggies. Uh, and also, again, it keeps them safe. It keeps them having to build a huge coop. So a lot of times doing like a small chicken tractor is an easy way to get started. Uh, and if, even if you don't do it as a designated chicken tractor with a big open floor like that, just building a small pen that is movable is something I always recommend because A, you might decide you don't want the chickens in the spot anymore, but B, it really gives you an opportunity to help use them for your garden. So let's say for instance, what here, here, here's a common thing people might do is you take your gardening area and you divide it into two halves and you might only use one half a year, kind of like crop rotations, but you know, you grow your cover crop on the, the inactive side, you grow your cover crop. And then when it's big enough, you send the chickens in there. They're going to go, they're going to tear it up. They're going to fertilize. They're going to, you know, eat the bugs. They're going to prepare the land for you to go ahead and grow on that area, you know, next season or next year or what have you. So you can alternate the two or three or four or five or whatever, you know, your crop rotation may be. But if you're doing crop rotations, which you should, you know, periodically, anyhow, uh, with cover crops, adding animals into that rotation is just so beneficial. It's going to save you from having to bring in, you know, compost. Uh, it's going to save you a lot of labor, you know, let the chickens go in and do the work of tearing that stuff up. You know, they're going to fertilize in the process again, again, the bugs, again, you're feeding your chickens, you're saving from having to buy animal feed. So it's just all around beneficial and then they're making food for you. So there's, you know, there's just so much there. It really is. Um, I don't remember who said it. Maybe it was Wendell Berry thing, but I, at any rate, uh, there, there's some semi-famous quote about like, you can't do a good organic agricultural operation without incorporating livestock one way or another. And of course, if you have a balcony, I'm not saying you have to put chickens out there to grow a good balcony garden. But, you know, if you have, you know, any sort of space and you're looking to do like a decent sized veggie operation, it's just, it's going to be much better with some sort of organized animal operation like that, in my opinion. So you just provided like a great example of something that I've been trying to like a point I've tried to get across. So you talked about spacing your, your rows in your garden four feet apart so you can run a chicken tractor down there. So 
so a point I've made is you're not trying to necessarily increase maximizing yield is not necessarily a goal. The goal is maximizing efficiency, right? So by spreading your rows four feet apart, you're you're losing some portion of your yield just because you can't plant your rows so close, so you're not producing as much produce. However, by doing so, you're able to get that chicken tractor down the, the rows, right? So now you don't have to weed and you're fertilizing all at the same time and you're also feeding your chicken. So if you're like looking at that holistically, you have like maximized your efficiency by decreasing, but you also decreased your yield at the same time. You get what I'm saying? So like, sure, sure. So like monocrop farms, their, their concern all the time is maximization of yield. So they're cranking as much produce as they possibly can. They're, just they don't care about soil condition and, and um they they're just throwing uh fertilizer down and they're, they're just pulling as much of that one crop out of, as you can you as a homesteader you're you're trying to look at your property in totality as its own little ecosystem and its own little economy right so sometimes you have to trade off a little bit of like um yield or output to save yourself a lot of labor or a lot of like resource input or because it's producing you a better results in some other area on your property in this case chickens so you're, you're feeding your chickens while fertilizing your soil while getting rid of the weeds but you're taking a slight hit on your uh yield you get what i'm saying and this is very something that I've had trouble trying to explain this concept to people like in a way that was cohesive, but you just provided the perfect example of what I'm talking about where, uh, let me you know, give you, you one more scenario um, too right. that, that I find really helpful. And this is something that uh, some people actually do. So there is um, uh, some people with a vineyard, right? Growing grapes. And they found that they could run turkeys under the grapes. So they could do dual purpose. So, but what it did when they, they did that is it reduced their grape yield or the amount of grapes they could grow. So let's say if they had all grapes, it was hundred percent, you know, of their grape yield. Well, this might've reduced it to only 80% of the grapes, but because they also had the turkeys going, their total output from that land was like 140% of what it was when they were doing just grapes. So even though they were getting less grapes, total output of the property was increased. Uh, and so that's it's just, you know, a similar kind of thing. It's everything's a trade-off, but it's, it's the kind of thing like the monocrops, right? Like, like they, they till, 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 they, they, they just, they, 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 they turbocharge, you know, they, they on fucking steroids, just everything. They're just pushing, 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 pushing. And yeah, they get results, but they really beat up the land. So in our example of having the rows four feet apart, yeah, you might get less total year, but you're, but your overall, um, you know, homestead is going to be healthier you know, be, be because of that. So, you know, you might have to make trade-offs with the amount of space you have available, but yeah, just know if you're really trying to pump that out, you know, you're really trying to go for yield and maximum output from, from space, you're going to have a lot more inputs. You know, you're going to have to bring in more compost. You're going to have to bring in other fertilizers, be that organic or otherwise, you know, you're going to have to bring in more inputs. You know, one of the things to your point about seeing your homestead as like an economy, uh, it, it really is. Uh, there's a it's there's some organic farming business book I have, but probably the best thing I took from it was he was like, imagine a giant thousand foot wall around your farm, and anything you need has to come in through the like you need to be realizing that anything that comes in 
coming in through the gate, you're paying for it. You know, there's what's coming in that gate, there's what's coming out the gate. And that's, you know, you really need to be cognizant of that. And that's really, like, again, going back to where we said, it's, it's, it's this whole different mindset. And it's, it's an adjustment, you know, for most people, myself included. You know, I'm still learning <laughs> for sure. But you really have to, you really have to pay attention to all that or else you end up just dumping money into your property, which, I mean, you have to do to some extent, you know, until you get built up enough for to start giving back. But uh, well, they either got to, it's either going to take you a lot of time, a lot of labor, a lot of money. So you have to like strike that balance between all three. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Do you want to spend more money and have it take less time and labor, or do you want to spend a little bit more labor and time and have it cost less money? That's a, that's whatever you want to do. You know what I mean? That's every, everybody yeah, is going to be different. Are, right. Yeah. Whatever your situation and abilities. Right. One thing I, and I, I don't know if this is something I can, like, so I grew up kind of poor, right? Not like super poor. Like we had food, right? Cause we grew our own food. So we always had food. So I never went without, but you know, it was a single income household with five people. And, uh, you know, my father, he probably didn't make, he probably made okay money. I don't know, but we were poor. We, you know, we shopped at Kmart and didn't get the fancy sneakers. You know what I mean? And like, Sometimes Christmases were hard or whatever. So something that I learned from that is just sort of like how to make stuff last, how to like sort of make do with what you got. Cause you don't have another option. We don't have the option to just go out and buy whatever the thing we got to make, whatever we have work. And it sucked at the time. Cause I wanted airwalks and I got Kmart sneakers. Right. But at, in the long term it gave me a set of skills where my first instinct isn't just to throw money at it. You know what I mean? So like if you spend a little bit of like sort of ingenuity and figure out like, what do I got? Well, I can make this out of this and I can kind of make this work or, you know, I can take my belt off and use this and you know, whatever, like you can just figure out little things that will end up. So you're not spending a bunch of money on these things. And this has helped me in life and in business and whatever. And I don't know if this is something I can teach to another person. It's just maybe you just have to grow up poor to kind of have this like <laughs> as your default in your head. You know what I mean? But I can't, you know, it's I'm not one to just go out and blow money on, on something that I need, you know, unless I really need it. But I'll try to figure out another way to do it or I'll try to figure out a hustle to make it pay for itself. So I, I'm not out any money if I need something. You know, now I'm comfortable, you know, money's fine, whatever. But still to this day, if like I need something for the homestead, I'll go out and buy a thousand of them, sell the rest and then get maybe I make some money, but I at least get whatever I needed for free. You know what I mean? Or, hey, I've got this old thing I saved from this other thing I was doing this other time. I'll use this little piece of scrap material and I'll make this to do whatever the thing I need. Or I found some, I still to this day scavenge pallets off the side of the road. Like I do okay financially. I don't need to, I don't need to like go scavenge pallets, but I just do. That's just the way I am, you know? So it's like um, this kind of poverty mindset, I guess, will go a long way, I think, from a lot of people if it's something, a skill that can be taught. Um, because it will help you treat your, uh, property more as an economy and more frugally, and you'll end up figuring things out, um, 
that uh, to, to save yourself some money in the long run and save yourself some time and all, all sorts of things. So, sorry, I, I was ranting, but uh, no, I'll, I'll get, I, I totally, I totally agree with all that. Um, and if I, I can't expand here for a second, I'm like, it, I think that getting a, a homestead, getting in that homesteading mindset helps will help people get better at that. You know, I think that if they take learning Austrian economics <laughs> helped me out a lot with that, you know, kind of a kind of mindset, but you know, you start, you start realizing what you want out of life. And like, I were like, we want this farmstead, you know, we want this to be, so we want this to be our life. So when I go work my, you know, sort of job that I have to make money, like it gets dumped back into the farmstead and make it, make it better, make it get us a little closer to that goal. But it, a lot of it is that's become important. We got out of just the regular, I don't know, like the regular American lifestyle, you know, of you work, you come home, watch TV, you pay your bills and you die, you know, and you realize, okay, we don't want that. That my, I think that mindset comes along with that. Uh, I think in some cases it can be taught. I think some people just never get it. Um, but I think that if, if people start to sort of figure out what they want out of life and they really try to attack those goals, I think that a lot of times that comes along with it, but who knows? Yeah. I think that, um, sort of that American dream thing is, uh, I think people are tired of the, like, I'm going to go to work to pay for gas to go to, so I can go to work tomorrow so I can watch TV so I can fucking die in 40 years after working my whole life. I think that more and more people are kind of getting tired of that rat race and looking mm -hmm. for something else, which I see as a positive shift. Um, you know, I don't think we as humans were meant to fucking sit in a cubicle for 40 hours for fucking 40 years under fluorescent tubes and just do nothing. Yeah. And then just die one day, you know, like I just, there's fucking more to life than that, than just going to work and making money. And listen, I'm a hustler. I'm a, I grind and I fucking work harder than anyone, you know, but, um, you know, it's like, um, most people's priorities are changing from just working at all the fucking time just to work all the time. Um, they're changing from that to like, uh, no, actually, I think there's like more to life. Maybe I should work to, enjoy myself more or have fun or whatever the thing or hang out with my kids more or whatever you know whatever it is that they want to do and i think uh you're seeing more and more people sort of steer in that direction and uh, they're not even necessarily anarchist right they're just they don't feel that this system serves them anymore you, you know i um i sort of heard a little bit of a theory the other day and i i don't i don't know maybe you can tell me what you think of this but it was seen like um like with like COVID happening, right? Like you've got like these people who like, they were, you know, their whole lives played the game, got a good job, a good corporate job. Then it's like one week into working from home, all that like training and, you know, um, uh, public school conditioning and everything is out the window. And they're like, you know what? I'm working from home from now on. And I'm wearing pajama pants <laughs> from now on. I'm not putting on the fucking suit and going into work. I'm not doing this and that. And, you know, a lot of people were like, now are like, no, like I want to work from home and I'm, you know, I'm, I was wondering that wasn't like a general just good because people are like, yeah, I'd rather stay home with my kids. You know, their kids were home because they were in school. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm raising my kids and home. Yeah, I get, I get to make my kids. So I get to have lunch with my kids. I'm in my PJs. I don't have to sit in fucking traffic for 20 minutes yelling at cars and shit. I don't have to do any of those things. 
I'm I'm home. I can hang out with my kids and do some work and whatever else. Yeah, like I think there's a I that is the one positive thing that came out of COVID was like I think a lot of people were like, why the fuck do I spend all my time in an office? Like, why is this even necessary? Like, why can't I? I'm on a computer all day. Like, why can't I just do that at home and also spend time with my family? You know, so like. I hope that's a good like psychological shift in most people. Um, and uh, I, I think that's going to lead to a, like a general shift in the paradigm um, of how people think about their relationship with work and family and, and all sorts of things. But I mean, it could shape the layout of our communities and it could shape like density, you know, it could, it could like, I mean, if it's allowed to be taken to his logical, um, you know, extension or extent, um, it could shape the kind of densities we live in. So we talk about like cities and countries and to some extent suburbs and other stuff. Um, but it could really allow things to spread out more to like uh, small cities, large towns, small towns, and even like, uh, you know, out of the suburbs, even into the exurbs and to the rural areas where that line's kind of blurred. Um, but you, probably just see this continuing trend that i've brought up before of like these major metros just again like they kind of partially have before like the core of these metros sort of uh decaying people going out but not out of like flight from that but because it's just no longer necessary or prudent um under our current technological the technical paradigm to really just pile into those cities which is an incredibly difficult and stressful thing it requires a lot of coordination and infrastructure and everything and it's at this point um you know that's a lot of cost uh on society and on government and stuff for you know little benefit really when it comes down to what most people do that work on laptops and i i you know sometimes i get real cynical with some of my friends um i know from back in the day they all work work remote they work on they work uh technical jobs on the like, of course I don't and everything. And it's like, you know, I'm essential. I gotta be, a lot of that's a joke, but like really you don't have to be in those places. And so much positive change can happen. Like, like I don't know. I don't want, the one thing I don't want to see is policy being made, like assuming that most people that are like voters that, that matter to, you know, policymakers to be, you know, whatever, like they're, they're work from home people. So that like society incre increasingly shifts to like being something centered around being able to work from your computer wherever you are and obviously a lot of a lot of people that make this world you know go around can't do that for, you know but i think that so much change can be happen can happen to our to greater society and patterns of living for the better by allowing especially these jobs which are off, so often done in these large office parks or these skyscrapers and in, in in closer to the city center um so much change can happen when those jobs are able to be dispersed. Um, and then when people need to meet up, they can meet up in all sorts of, you know, like spaces that aren't dedicated and don't have that kind of, you know, footprint. Yeah. It can really, that's a great point. Cause it can really yeah, decentralize like social arrangements and production. You know what I mean? So like when, like if I was an accountant and I worked for a big firm, like when I can do that, where from wherever i want to on the planet i'm okay i'm i'm not coming in the office i live in the ozarks now and i'm just going to work for your accounting firm on my laptop in the middle of fucking nowhere 
that has huge ramifications for like all of society. Like it might change the very way we organize ourselves and our relationship, our social relationships, and like also our our relationship with to production itself. You know what I mean? So that could really change. That is a great point, Penguin. That could really yeah. change everything. And it's happening. And I mean, obviously, there was a little bit of uh, of a jump start there with with the pandemic and whatnot. But it's it's happening now, and it's just a matter of how how quickly it's allowed to happen. You know, it, it's funny because it's like it's technology, right? In a lot of cases, that allows this. Like, okay, back in the day, maybe people all had to go to the office to get the job done or whatever. But it used to require putting a giant monkey into a four thousand pound piece of steel and you know sending it you know an hour down the fucking road. And let's not even get into what you have to extract out of the ground to make that piece of steel run. And now it's like, well, I can do the same thing by just sending a few electrons to the office instead. <laughs> you know, like that's me going to work now is just through electrons and I don't have to waste the time, the, the steel, the gas, the, all that nonsense, you know, to, to do this. I mean, and really more importantly to me, I think is the time. I mean, people are getting two hours, three hours extra a day that they're not spending on lunch break, driving to and from work, this and that, that they just get of their lives back. Um, and I think it's, honestly a lot more than that because I think you're actually a lot more efficient at home. But at any rate, um, you know, like that's, um, that's just, I, I don't know. That's just incredible stuff like that. Just gets me really, really excited to think about people getting years of their life back. <laughs> you know, yeah, it could really, it could really increase like leisure time all around. Like it might overall exactly. decrease the amount we have to work to like, just provide for ourselves. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, you're right about that. Because now, for some reason, like even with all the technological advancements, we are like working more more now than we ever have before, and it's, you know, it's very easy to blame it on the state, and I do for making things so fucking expensive that you have to labor more than you otherwise would. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of reasons for this, you know. But um, I think we might be at a tipping point in that regard, where. Um, we might actually start working less and less just because like you said, we don't have to spend three hours a day driving and we can, if we want to, we can be at home. Like say you worked a job where normally you have to be there eight hours. Right. But if you're home and you're like, well, I can work eight hours or I can bang all this workout in like three or four hours. And then I'm going to go play with my fucking kids and I'll go send emails after dinner or whatever. And you got way more time. So that really changes like our entire economic system. You know what I mean? Like in a, in a good, in a great way, like we reevaluate our relationship to like production and work and leisure and fun and our families and that sort of thing. Um, so I, yeah. I'm, I'm fucking super excited about that actually. Um, so, uh, all right. So switching, switching gears, uh, a little bit like so how can somebody um work towards that desired end goal whether that be you know grinding and some side hustles or maybe it's not a farm maybe they want to do something else but you know like but let's say it's homesteading or how can people get out of the rat race and into becoming more uh financially independent and self-reliant so they do have more time to themselves uh, yeah, I mean, so I'll speak to what, you know, I know, which is, you know, the doing some sort of homestead to, to reach that ends. Cause there's, I mean, I have like friends who 
are never going to grow a vegetable in their life, but they're very talented at their office jobs and they love them and whatever, you know, so blah, 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 maybe they're a thing. But like, um, but one of the, I guess that's really one of the things that drew me to the, what's called homesteading, the <laughs> homesteading thing. Um, is that like, so, okay. So I have like a lot of chores in the morning and like some chores in the evening, but depending on what time of year, like you might have a lot of free time during the day. So it kind of gives you a lot of time to chase your other hustles. Um, just, I mean, just the amount of skills you learn when you, any, I mean, even just a small. All right. Where were you? Okay. Um, so. And we're back. So, <laughs> Go ahead. So you'll just learn like a ton of skills. Like, I mean, and you never really know what you're going to learn. Like one day I'm just starting, Oh, I'm going to mow this area. And then by the end of the day, I'm learning how to do valve cover gaskets on that mower, <laughs> you know, and how to, how to set, uh, how to set rocker arm clearances and everything because my mower blew up and it's just not what I expected to learn that day. But you know what I can do now that, <laughs> you know, I could take a set of feeler gauges and adjust valves. And I, you know, that just seemed so out of my reach the day before, you know, so among these projects that you do and you, you venture into, you'll, you'll learn a lot of skills. And a lot of times that'll point you in the direction that, you know, you might end up going, or you might actually want to go a little bit more again for our personal instance of going from being, primarily veggie farmers and being primarily animal farmers to to raise myriad of other amazing projects that she does. And then, you know, I, I I get sort of curious and then obsessive about things. So like I'll pick up some new thing. Oh man, I just learning how to do this and, you know, I'll hit it real hard for a while. And I might grow bored of it or, or find that there's not the value in it that I wanted there to be or whatever and move on. And sometimes you find something that works for you and, and you stick with it. So like, we put together, I say quick list, a lot of stuff. We put together pretty quick of like just some things that a lot of stuff we have tinkered with, but this isn't something necessarily a full list of things we have, but just give like people like an idea of some like the various things you could do with a small piece of property, right? So, okay. Um, you grow veggies, microgreens, um, you got eggs um, from chicken, ducks, you do soy free eggs and your regular eggs, you do pasture raised eggs, um, meat chickens, meat animals, dog treats, dog food, herbs, tinctures, live plants, um, you know, selling live plants is great. That's something you can do with a very small piece of property. You know, get small trees, plants started in pots and sell them. Uh, that's excellent. Um, trees, uh, you can do seeds. You can grow your own seeds and sell them. Uh, you can do like I do, buy seeds and sell them, you know, whatever. Um, you can do dairy products. You can, um, you know, sell hatching eggs. So you can breed the chickens and then sell the fertilized eggs on the internet. I mean, there's whole groups on Facebook for that where you can sell people all over the country. Uh, that's something great you can do. Um, you can make jerky and other meat, preserved meat products. Um, art, if you're in art, you have plenty of time for it. You might even have some cool uh, inspiration or materials to use. Uh, firewood, if you have you know, um, land with uh, trees. Uh, you can make compost. You can make worm castings. Uh, mulch, timber, lumber, if you have a sawmill and land with trees. Um, you can just build chicken tractors and coops and sell them on Craigslist or whatever. Lots of people do that. If you have space, you're not using it, you can lease it to somebody. You know, hey, uh, you want a garden and you don't have space? Whatever, give me a hundred bucks and you can have this, you know, section of my yard for the year or whatever, you know, uh, just really a, a, a lot of, I mean, it's unlimited, you know, the stuff you can come up with and do uh, if you have a little bit of space and the time and, you know, you just sort of do what, what piques your interest, learn, you know, learn from there. Um, I, I, I don't know, man, it's, you know, a little bit different for everybody, I guess, but what works and obviously what sells. You Would know, you say you, it's it's better to have like 
more hustles going than less? Oh man, that that's tough. If they're so not too get... time consuming, you know. <laughs> right, because that's where you get to the point to where you get to be juggling too many balls, and because um, I sometimes I sit down and start counting how many like things I'm currently doing and making money on, and like I'll be like nine is it really nine things how am i handling nine things how do i have to sit down and write them down you know but it and this is going to vary sometimes person to person i will definitely get overwhelmed um and i'll do it to myself you know i'll take on too much i'll agree to too many projects that other people propose to me i'll have to get too many things going myself uh pick the wrong time of year to do it <laughs> you know whatever so you really gotta you really gotta feel yourself out on that one I like having several, if nothing else, there's some sort of security in that, you know, if one of them stops producing or making money or selling, or you just don't plan one to do it anymore, you know, you can drop it. If, you know, let's say you have a, a J-O-B and a couple hustles and the farm, you know, the, the, the J-O-B might be the most um, up in the air one, you know, like you just never know that one might be the most out of your control. So that one could just go away. That might be your most, steadier secure source of income so having those other income streams can help lessen that blow if something does happen like that or if you're suddenly deemed um you know um unnecessary or what were they calling it um you, you know you know what i mean uh <laughs> they just say okay you're not allowed to work anymore because monkeypox so you know having these other streams can be helped but you know again that's just going to depend on the person i think is to, to the number i would definitely suggest multiple um and they don't have to be huge i mean they don't have to make you a ton of money but just i mean even if you're getting 50 or 100 bucks a month from something. I mean, that's that can be significant, especially if you're trying to live on less. So that's another big thing with, with doing something like homesteading is I want to spend less money at stores, you know, with other other people who don't need to get it. Not that I'm against purchasing things you need, but, you know, why give money to Walmart or Publix or whatever your regional grocery chain is when you can make it yourself? And sometimes it's just like, man, do I really need that? You know, it's easy to, man, I really enjoy going and getting a frozen Starbucks fucking Frappuccino or something, but do I really want to spend $4 on that? Like, you know, you think about what it takes to earn that $4 and, you know, what you could do with it and, you know, maybe live a little simply, uh, a little more simply. I've gotten a lot of value out of that, you know, um, trying to simplify a little bit just, just in life. I mean, I'm not a Kaczynskiite or anything, but I definitely... Obviously, there could be a lot of drawbacks to our modern technological state that we live in. You know, maybe uh, I mean, we're, we're still we're not that far out of the forests. You know, maybe we're not supposed to have so much stimulation like this. You know, I love my technology as much as the next guy, but I don't, I don't know. I think I think requiring less is a big step to to making something like like this work and not just homesteading, but just getting out of the regular American nonsense and taking more control of your own life. I think having to consume less is, is definitely a good start to that. That's just, it's just that much less you have to produce, right? Yeah. I mean, depending on which day you ask me, I'm either more or less of a fan of uncle Ted, but uh, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Right. Like uh, earlier like, today, I, mean, I, I earlier today, the computer wasn't working. And I'm like, I'm going to murder all computers. <laughs> just, I hate all of them going to live in a cabin in the woods. Um, but no, there is something to be said for uh, a, crit a critique. The you know the psychological effects of the modern techno technological society uh, are 
pretty adverse to, I think, a lot of humans. And also there's, I was having this conversation with a buddy of mine, like yesterday or the day before. It's like, yeah, so having stuff, it does have its like lots of stuff. It does have its like benefits, like, like comforts and stuff and, uh, you know, sort of material comforts, but it's also like an anchor. It's also like an added responsibility. It's a limitation in a lot of ways. And it requires more of you like take the, you know, the smartphone phone or whatever. It's like, I can do lots of things with this, but think about now I got to, how much I got to labor to replace this thing every so many years and all this kind of time. And, you know, we've got all these, these fancy gadgets around us and all just random like stuff. Now you're just like kind of tied to that and it not having it is uh, just like less you have to do to keep those things up and purchase more new ones and, you know, keep up with the Joneses kind of stuff where you now you're just working all the time for to buy more stuff to get to work again. You know what I mean? So it's like if you can, you know, and I'm not saying go full minimalist or anything, you know, but if you can sort of eliminate like super unnecessary things from your life, that's more time that you don't have to labor to keep those things. You know, if, if they're not providing you with real use, like material benefits, um, you know, uh, maybe, maybe think about simplifying, like you said, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I don't necessarily want to go with a cabin in the woods, but, but stuff, stuff can be a, a trap, you know, things like objects can be a trap. Yeah. I mean like smartphones, I mean, to use that example, like they, if you, if you use them right, they can be something that has provided us with the ability to be way more productive and efficient in our lifestyles. But if you catch yourself sitting on the couch scrolling through, you know, the bird site or something for four hours when you got shit to do, like it's not a positive, you know. So it, you know, it's there's there's personal responsibility in all that, and I think that really goes with a lot of technology, you know, in general. It can be used, you know, it's an animate thing, so it can be used. It's all in how it's used. Uh, so I entirely agree. Yeah, like you can choose to do that, but you can, we're also aware of this and talking about it, and we can also choose not to do those things but like there are there's just the facts of my life and where i am right now and what i do day to day for a living that would be impossible without the smartphone you know so like it's just it would be i mean there's just no way um i mean at the scale or just to just to make even what i do viable without having uh smartphones with constant internet connection so and the same and then even besides like what's absolutely necessary to have the smartphone like it saves the day numerous times when i need when i need it when it, whether it's a piece of equipment or a bike or a car situation like yeah i mean um i think on balance yeah it can be a problem if you let it become a problem but it it certainly unlocks so much potential for us that i think you know i otherwise need a full-time secretary that's completely mobile it can go everywhere i want with me um and to be handled transactions through the mail or some kind of wire service. And then and, and any number of things I can't even think of that functions that the smartphone does that um, replaces things that I wouldn't even be able to um, afford or you know have in my pocket at the very least. So yeah, I think it's amazing. And that's like the number one thing. And then, um, you know, 
vehicles and just everything has, I guess, a pro and a con, but on balance, we can use those pros and we do use those pros to kind of give us way more accessibility to this lifestyle that I think the, we, we often think in, in the, not in modernity and in the, the actual strict sense of it, but like in our current situation where like we, most people feel so um, distant from these kind of self-sufficient ways of life. I think they're actually a lot more accessible than they would otherwise be by having, having this technology. So, I mean, obviously there's pros and cons, skip to curse, but you know, we can actually harness these things for good, for sure. What are the big benefits though, um, to even like a homesteading lifestyle or, or to your point earlier about being able to decentralize society just because of the advances in technology communication, right? Um, you can be on your home. You can sell stuff on Etsy. You know, <laughs> like there are a lot of ways that you, you know, you wouldn't be able, you know, you wouldn't be able to market yourself and your products and your your farm and your business in the same way, you know, without internet and stuff. So uh, obviously, it does give us a lot of a lot of advantages. So I don't want to poo poo it totally, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's depending on who you ask, the internet is the best or the worst thing that's ever happened to humanity, right? Probably a little of both. Yeah. Definitely a little of both. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, you're, you're right. It's weird because like, uh, the system almost gave us tool, the tools to break out of the system. You know, mm -hmm. it's the thing, like the thing that Lenin, yes, uh, yes, definitely. Lenin, you know, the, the, uh, the capitalist will sell us the rope we're going to hang them with. Right. Right. So it's like this, <laughs> this system has ground us down and, and, you know, sent us in this sort of rat maze and kept us a lot, you know, I'm speaking as a whole, you know, kept us poor and just working and grinding just to sort of, you know, uh, put food on the table and they have eaten out our substance, you know, but now, like you said, we have a cell phone, <laughs> which makes it so that we can literally start our own little business selling tinctures on Etsy or whatever the hell. And we can completely drop out out of the system just because of something that was created by the system, which to me has a like a, a very nice sweet irony to it. So I actually I do appreciate the uh, the absurd humor that is the cosmic universe, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what what do you think about? Um... Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Don't be scared. It's only the Death Star destroying another world. Relax. It's only... The best way to spend Mardi Gras! Come join C4SS and Crew Domain for a carnival celebration you'll never forget. One part anarchist book fair and unconference and one part cultural and arts festival, Coup de Gras features guest speakers, live music, drag, stand-up comedy, parades, an agorist market, and so much more! Join us February 17th to 20th 22nd, 2023 at Fontainebleau State Park. Visit coupdegras.wtf for more details. That's C-O-U-P-D-E-G-R-A-S dot W-T-F.
how what what will homesteading like what kind of side hustles would be sort of adjacent to homesteading that you've come across you know like it's not necessarily making it directly from your homestead but you know because you're homesteading well you know like i'll give you an example i was selling like the big blue 55 gallon drums that everybody uses for rain barrels and so i like i needed rain barrels so i bought instead of going to buy like a the few that i needed i bought like 50 of them and then just like sold the rest and then once i was like wow i actually made decent money off this and got free rain barrels i'm gonna go buy another batch and i, I would just sell those all the time and it was just like it didn't take much of my time. It was just every now and then I got to meet somebody at Walmart, you know. But yeah, it's a it's well, one of those that's, things. That's where something I was making from my homestead, but it, because I have sure. a homestead, I I stumbled across that little hustle. You know what I mean? So here's something I, I've sort of been thinking about, and it's like, okay, so I've been homesteading for but a little less than a decade, right? But in that time, right, I've learned a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes. I I'm the type where I got to do shit myself and make more mistakes, you know. Um, but I, I learned a lot from that experience. So I was trying to think like, what, where can that put in value? And I'm thinking, okay, people that are just getting started, right? There's probably some things that I can do or some products that I could make for them that could cut like five years of that learning out. Right. So, uh, like I mentioned earlier, one thing, things like making like, um, like let's say you're good at building stuff. Like, you know, you can build little chicken coops and sell them. Uh, chicken tractors, things like that. I've always really thought that's a good way to go. You know, build build things that other homesteaders might need, especially people just getting started. That you can sort of you can sort of use your experience, you know, to get them a little bit ahead of the game. So yeah, somebody who's new to chickens, a lot of times they just rather go buy a chicken coop. You know, so if you already got nice ones that you sell, you know, something like that might be might be really cool. Uh, something else might just be other things that other homesteaders or farmers that you know have that you don't so if you don't raise chickens but dude down the street raises chickens and he doesn't do anything with the feet or whatever you can buy the feet from him make dog treats with your dehydrator and sell those online or at the farmer's market you know there's also um we've got i've got some very good friends of mine who they're really into moringa and i don't know if you guys remember moringa but it's a tree and it grows in third world countries and it's like some people call it a superfood and i don't know about that but it's People really like it. Health food stores, it's it's in like everything, you know, so they don't really have space, but they're selling like over $100,000 worth of Moringa stuff online every year. So what they're doing is having people like me who have space grow the Moringa and then they're taking it and selling it. Or like, you know, um, my wife's going to start tincturing the Moringa in bulk and selling it to them and they're going to put it in their bottles and sell it, you know. So from either side of that, our side or their side, you know, we're working with another group that has different abilities they've got the marketing and the internet sales and they know how to use amazon and do all that stuff uh and i have no interest in learning how to sell things on amazon you know but we can grow moringa stuff make it in bulk and sell it to them and get it out there and you know that's obviously benefiting both of us and then of course the customer further on but so there's just a lot out there uh something else they're uh, making um oh God, i'm not giving away their business here so everyone else can do it but they're you know like they're making like moringa start seedlings and selling them on amazon you know, there, um, there's just all sorts of little things. Like you said, if you're going to buy something and you have the opportunity where you can buy it in bulk and then you think you can sling them off, you know, that's great. It's just, it's like an investment, you know, you make a little bit of investment up front and you get it back a little bit at a time. 
but you know, hopefully in greater numbers, greater quantity, uh, hopefully it's a better deal. Or like you said, you're getting some of it for free. So that's stuff like that's a, an, an excellent idea uh, with the, the buying like the rain barrels and selling them off. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, finding other other things that other homesteaders and farm setters need. And I mean, I'm I'm all down for trade, of course, but, you know, whatever the exchange is selling or what have you, I feel like if you're really going to get ahead, you probably got to sell some stuff. Um, oh, I guess really, if you're trading for money, it's still just bartering, really. Eh, sorry, I'm getting hung up on myself here. Um, but things that other homesteaders and farmers might need that, you know, your experience can provide. I really like the idea of, um, of shooting for the, the newer people, the people who are a little bit newer to it than you, what can you provide to them? Uh, that will, you're basically helping impart your years of experience onto them through a product or I guess a service. Hell, yeah. I mean, a, a service at that point, let me, let me come help. Let me come help you plan your garden. Let me come help you set this up, you know, sometimes getting people. To I do that now. Like that, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I bet. Yeah. That's exactly what you do. I've so thought about that. that. That would be a really useful kind of deal. Even yeah. as a business or as some kind of community thing that you do in exchange for, you know, some kind of compensation. Um, yeah. Something you kind of mentioned also, like there's two different ways that you could do kind of what you're describing. Like you, if depending on your level of organization, you could do an organized thing where you guys, like if you really do have a, a small network of homesteaders in a certain, you know, it's decently close to each other. Um, you could do like, you could bulk buy different stuff or you can each buy some other different thing in bulk and then like split it up. Um, you can do like mm -hmm. bulk buying and that can be done. And, and I mean, that was Hess, Carl, yeah, Carl Hess was talking about doing that on a, um, uh, urban yeah, setting. Buyers, buyers clubs. Yeah. Yeah. But you could do that for homesteaders. You can do that for anything or like in an unorganized fashion, everybody can just do what you described. I mean, just using kind of the market that by the, um, our sec actually described buying stuff in bulk and just, just, just kind of slinging it on, um, whatever local marketplace. And, um, if, you know, in the aggregate, it kind of is having the same function without actually going through all the organizations. So, I mean, that's, that's always like very useful. Um, if you have a bunch of other homesteaders, a bunch of other people living similarly, uh, nearby. Yeah. There are people who are going your speed anyhow, you know, so they're easy to deal with. They're, you know, they're the same mindset and everything. And if nothing else, you just end up having conversations with them and you pick up a lot of tips and stuff along the way, you know, Hey, what's your experience, you know, with this or that. So that just just the communication with other homesteaders in your in your area could be just hugely beneficial, even just talking to them. Something else I wanted to kind of so you a couple of the examples you provided that you guys are doing. Um, it you're doing like what's called value added. So like, uh, let's take you want to grow oregano. You might not make a ton of money selling oregano, but you might make a decent amount of money if you turn that oregano that you just grew into a tincture of sorts, or you know, and then sell then sell that, and then you're actually making decent money. So you can actually take stuff that you've derived from your homestead, mix it with other things that you've done with your homestead. You know, uh, people are really into um, like home goods and jellies and homemade jellies and that kind of stuff at like farmer's markets. So, you know, you grow your own produce or whatever it is. You learn, you learn a little bit of skill. This still doesn't take a lot of space or time really. And you turn it into like a finished product 
and then you go sell that and you end up making a, a lot more than you might have a lot of in a lot of cases anyway you make more money than you might have just selling the strawberries you know that you grew um instead of that you just take that turn it into strawberry jam and you can probably make even more money you know and it doesn't take that much so like finding little things like that with uh things that you you want to grow you're like well i could just you know i could just sell this produce or i could take this produce and make this other thing out of it that uh a lot of people want and just finding hustles on top of hustles you know like um that seems to work out well for us over here i don't know uh yeah yeah for sure and you know one of the other really great things about operating under like a um under like some sort of homestead thing is that a lot of the products i was about to say most but i, I don't know a lot of the products are legally untaxed you know if they're food items they're you know they're uncooked or whatever they're legally untaxed so not that you know you're necessarily gonna report everything anyhow but you don't even have to like you don't even have to like lie <laughs> you know um because there's no sales tax on the shit so you know it, i mean you're assuming products. i tell anybody you know what i mean but yeah, yeah you know just um but but here, here's the other thing if you do manage to make like the the farm as like a, a business for yourself and you make it a legal business um agricultural operations enjoy a lot of like protections uh that regular businesses don't a lot of them are tax related so you get a lot of tax benefits uh suddenly everything you're doing on your homestead you can write it off. So any money that you put, if you were just a homeowner, right, might be like, oh, you're spending money on home improvements. Well, now I can count them as expenses, you know, uh, because it's part of my business. As a farm, you're allowed to count losses for way more years as a business than you are as like a, a non-agriculture business. You know, you're allowed to take losses for a long time. So, you know, you depending on how you do your accounting, you know, things can work out really well for you if your main thing is a farm. Uh, some other uh, benefits, and this is going to vary a lot on area, but like for us, for instance, if you get the property uh, recognized as an agricultural property, uh, you're exempt from code enforcement. You're exempt from building permits on agricultural land out here. I could build anything except like a septic tank without the 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 county doesn't have to care about it at all. Where if I didn't have it set up as agriculture, not only would I pay way more in property taxes, I couldn't have grass over 18 inches tall, right? That's a county ordinance, you know, all sorts of the silly nonsense. Even though I'm not in an incorporated city, there are things that, not like they mess with me, but I would be subject to if somebody decided to dime me out or if they wanted to have a problem with me. But when you're agriculture, it's just that stuff just like goes away. So there are a lot of sort of benefits you could get just from, you know, being a farm that, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, I know that you and me agree on this on this facet here, but you know some very hardcore, you know, Ogoris or anarchists definitely might say, "Oh, you're dealing with the state, blah blah blah." But like, man, it, it, I know you guys have done episodes about this. It allows you to do so much more counter economic activity by maybe getting a couple tiny permits. Like, I pay one hundred and ten dollars a year for my chicken permit to be able to sell meat chicken, but that means that I can advertise and I can do all this stuff, and I just it's it's a bribe, right? It's one hundred ten dollars a year, and they leave me alone. And then I can do what I want with the meat chickens where right. I could not spend that $110 a year, not get the permit and be more quote unquote, you know, consistent or morally correct or whatever. Somebody might throw at me for that. 
but it also means I'm looking over my fucking shoulder and it's, I can't advertise and, and that's stress, dude, you know, having to worry about the state coming to mess with you and stress is anti-freedom to me. Yeah, so. definitely. <laughs> we, we don't play that game really where, I mean, no, we don't say, you know, do trivial things or hold yourself to trivial restrictions. It's, yeah, it's all I, about the utility. I, of I know it. You, like, guys, you might feel that about yeah. it. You might feel bad about it, but you know it, it, that whole the whole purist thing is almost like in place of actual like pragmatic freedom. You know, like yeah, you're you're paying them off, um, but you're probably paying. It's probably a lot less than a, a real bribe would be. And uh, yeah, like you yeah. said, the stress and everything, and not being able to so the, the lost opportunity or just the stress if you were to doing things in a in a just trivially trivially right over the line to black market uh is not worth the 110 dollars you know yeah yeah and i mean i've been to war with the county uh they tried to shut our farm down when we were a couple years into it it was a whole thing because i didn't have that agriculture paperwork in line you know uh but now i've got a line to leave us alone and i mean it was a, it was a whole mess i mean you don't talk about stress dude i mean you want to talk about something that kills your gumption to run a business in a farm i mean it was six months of just a nightmare and just the callousness of the people of the county I was dealing with, you know, how much they didn't care. They weren't concerned. You know, it was really, if I was an anarchist already, I would have been right <laughs> after that experience. But it, it's really like where I'm at the point now where I'm, yeah, like I'm going to do what I want, but I am very, very, um, very cognizant of appearances and, you know, the way I might word things if I'm talking to somebody or, you know, whatever. I'm just, I'm very aware that they're out there. And I learned a lot about how they operate. So it, it makes me better at avoiding them now. But it's not a fight you really want to come to. But I, I do have to implore anybody, if you do get some code enforcement stuff, and I mean, we all have different risk tolerances. But if you do get some sort of code enforcement stuff, things I hear from regular people, are, oh, what are you going to do? You just do it. It's like, no, man, you fight it. And you know what? You can win. Because they will straight up do things that aren't right. Like the reasons they were denying me being an agricultural property. The, there, there's like five, like in like the law for this, there's like in our state, there's like five rules or or, 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 or things, uh, conditions to be an agricultural property. And we, we met all of them. We were fine. We weren't violating any of them, but they tried to fail us anyhow. And we still had to go to court and present it in front of a magistrate. And he took him three months to rule on it after we had the the court hearing <laughs> like it was just this insanely drug out thing but we won you know um and they're not used to people pushing back on them, man and it's also the kind of thing where they don't want court precedents this is why they don't want to take a lot of like gun stuff to the supreme court because you get a precedent you know once you get a precedent they, they might get not get the one they want so you know i don't i mean do what you're comfortable with but man i really i i got a lot of respect for people who fight it because you can win, you know, it's not a, you, you can't win. So yeah, going back to your, your $110 permit. Right. Sure. And yes, well, I, I mean, I wrote an article about this. We did a whole episode on this very point. So not saying that dag, you would ever do anything illegal. And I'm sure you report sure. every last time on every one of your tax forms, mm -hmm. All of them. but let's say, Let's say you didn't pay that 110 permit, right? And now you likely would not be able to sell as many birds and as you would if you would had had just paid for the permit. So now or you're at least at a greater risk. Or yeah, or it's a lot more risk. But I'm sure there's even right. a lot of places you wouldn't be able to sell if you didn't have that permit, right? Like very certain, true. My, my selection of farmers, farmers markets, markets would be limited. Yeah. Yep, yep. So you're gonna have less sales. 
which means your potential for gray market activity is far diminished, right? Because exactly. a lot of those farmers markets, I mean, I'm not saying you do this, but a lot of those farmers markets are cash. And, you know, if you're interested in, in, in engaging in, in gray market activity, you could just pocket that cash and never tell anybody about it. But you'd be limiting yourself if you didn't spend the 110 bucks on that stupid permit because now that's just less farmers markets you can go to it's more of a risk or you end up with fucking more fines and now maybe because you're ending up with more fines now the county inspectors up your ass because you are running an illegal business maybe you can't get the permit after that you know what i mean so it's like you just by filling out the stupid paperwork and paying them their bribe, you're able to do far more illegal activities than you otherwise would, which of course DAG is never doing any of those right, things. Right. But um, just as a hypothetical, like um, whatever the thing is, like I have a business per, uh, license or whatever. Now, um, of course I would never do anything illegal. And I also fill out all of the, my tax forms properly, but you know, somebody could use a business license as cover for lots of gray market activity and sort of like for the reasons uh what they call a kind of a tax shelter right you know where you it it takes the business takes a loss because you know you got a lot of write-offs now that you wouldn't normally with just a regular nine to five job and uh you can fill out a lot of deductions and whatever else and you know you take a loss but also you can run a lot of side hustles through that sort of with that business as cover, right? So now you have a reason why you are able to pay rent and you don't have or own a car because you have this legal business and yeah, you took a loss or whatever, but meanwhile, you've got cash flow coming in from all of your side hustles. Everybody following me at this point. So like it's, it's cover you're You're paying for cover. It's not, there's nothing immoral. I mean, I don't care about the morality of it at all. Any smart criminal <laughs> is going to make a like a a cutout, what they call a cutout. You know what I mean? Like, pay your permits properly, pay your tags properly, or set up your business or whatever, and that gives you plenty of like leeway to go do whatever gray or black market activity you want to. I don't know, set up a business and run guns out of the back. I don't know, but you still gotta. You're better off doing that with a legitimate business because they probably won't even fucking look at you twice you know what i mean if you just pay do the paperwork and pay that stupid permit yeah that 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 last example aside like that's basically just standard small business owner stuff i mean that's just that's basic stuff the difference between that and uh agorists at least up to a certain point is that agorists have like a theoretical basis a political motivation or understanding of, of that which is basically what Conkin said i mean i mean that's what people do though for the most part in my experience oh yeah i mean you make the money or don't you you know most people whether whatever their motivation be maybe it's not you know moral correctness or whatever you know whatever might motivate us i don't know but like um but it might just be money just fine you know and you know it's still kind of funny that i always notice about like the um like the like business owners or whatever right like they can usually get away with not paying any taxes because it's a different structure than their w-2 employees so it's almost like the government's like look man you run a business you're smart enough to know this is all a grift so tell you what you collect the taxes from your employees for us we let you off the hook you know <laughs> and it, 
I don't know. It's not like literally the way it works, but in practicality, you know, it kind of is, you know, it's kind of, kind of rolling downhill. But to that note, man, if you're out there and you're a, an employee somewhere and you have the opportunity to be 1099 instead of W to two, you do that. Cause you know what? You can write off the gap, you know, you can write off your mileage to and from your job, which you can't do as a W two. You can write off your lunches. You can write off so much more stuff where totally legally, if you do your accounting, right. You don't really pay much anything in taxes because so much of your stuff comes out as an expense that you're not allowed to write off as a W-2 employee. So that is another, you know, I'm sure you guys are hip to that anyhow, but that's another great way to get around that shit a little bit. And still, again, totally legal. Like Jack Spierko calls it status jujitsu, you know, use their own shit against them. Yeah. Well, I think it's about time to wrap it up and everything, but I mean, this has been a entirely great discussion. I mean, just, just a trick and tractor alone was, was one of the, <laughs> well, honestly something I learned about, um, I love the head trickets one day, but yeah, no, that was, it was a great discussion and um, hopefully some stuff that I can put into practice um, in, in the future. But as I uh, kind of expand my, um, my, my, you know, Agris credentials, uh, but Sec, did you have anything else to add at the very end? No, but I am going to get you set up gorilla gardening this fall. Oh, that's yeah. just, it's just a shame that I have just, I've been too lazy to even think about it. I'm just so focused every time I'm near someplace that sells seeds on like buying mulch usually. <laughs> I'm right, thinking about it, but I have been planting a lot more plants over time and learning, learning about plants, mostly flowers, but still like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm ready to roll. Ready to All rock. right, we're doing it. Dag, you have anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Um, no, uh, not really. Uh, oh, I guess one thing, uh, check your, check your thing. You might be legally allowed to sell like jams and jellies. We have cottage food law in Florida. There's a lot of stuff you can legally sell without any sort of permits or inspections or licenses or anything like that. Um, so, you know, you can do that. Of course, all down with doing it on, on the, on the DL as well, but that is a legal possibility for a lot of people. So you can check that out as well. Um, otherwise, uh, should I do my plugs and stuff? Yeah, do plugs. Okay, excellent. Um, uh, we're, again, like I explained about the Nexus earlier, the Nexus is on a little bit of a lull right now, but check them out. The website's still there. It's still a great directory. There's still a lot of really great articles and everything. We're hoping to get content flowing again here soon. Uh, check me out at agoristacres.com. All your seed needs, hit me up. If you're in the Central Florida area and want to patronize my farm, get our veggies or chicken products or anything like that, um, I'm not going to shout out the name of it on here, but just contact me and I'll, I'll give you all my info there. Um, Go ahead and check out my wife's lovely uh, shop. It's uh, The Willow's Gift uh, on Etsy. And she's got all her tinctures and she's adding all sorts of cool stuff on there. She also does custom pet portraits. So check that out. Uh, and I think that's about it, man. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for coming on. You, uh, I thanks always like having, picking man. your it's brain great. on this stuff. So it's uh, this has been a great conversation. Right on. Excellent, man. Anytime. I love to talk about it. All right. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have you back on real soon. Sweet. Thanks, man. All right. Everybody be excellent to each other. Be safe. Cheers. Cheers.